So, Lord, as we consider your word now, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, you would inspire us, you'd give us uh, confidence, and uh, you'd give us direction, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I chose this um, reading today because of that sense of it being a new term, <clears throat> it being a new start. We've had our uh, holidays, our breaks, as we went away, we're back, and I'm sure like me, you've, you've come back and children are back at school, or you're back at work, and there's loads of things in your, on your desk, your email uh, are full, and you're thinking, how am I going to get through this? What are we going to do? How are we going to start? And I thought it'd be good for us this moment to just uh, focus again and hear these words again of Jesus, a really uh, familiar uh, saying of Jesus, a really familiar um, sort of parable, really. Just at the start of a new term, the start of a new kind of church year and a new cycle in many of our uh, family lives, to ask this question. What will be your foundation? What are you going to trust on when everything else has kind of uh, fallen or is a little bit wobbly or a little bit shaky? Are you going to be, in the words of Jesus, a, a, a wise man? Or are you going to be a foolish man? This uh, story of Jesus, the wise man built his house upon the rock and the foolish man built his house upon the sand, will be familiar to anybody who's been around church for any uh, amount of time. Many of you, I know, have uh, helped in our junior church program, in our our children's work. I'm sure you have acted out this story. I'm I'm sure you've coloured in worksheets with pictures of the wise man and the foolish man. I know we've had all these services where we've built towers for the wise man and towers uh, for the foolish man. It's a really familiar story. The firm foundation, the rock, the house that stands built by the wise man, the shaky house on the sand uh, that that is crushed uh, by the storm. We're familiar with what Jesus was talking about. But we might not be as familiar with the idiom that Jesus is using. This kind of compare and contrast Wise and foolish, uh, strong and wobbly, uh, life and death. That's a kind of way of talking, an idiom that goes all the way back uh, through the Hebrew Scriptures, all the way back through the Old Testament. It would be familiar to Jesus' hearers to hear teachers talking in this way, but there's a difference to what Jesus says. There's a difference to the way that Jesus uses this kind of uh, this idiom, this, this motto, if you like. It's there in the Psalms. The very first Psalm, Psalm 1, begins talking about a righteous person who stands firm, whose life is like a tree that's on the banks of a river that's roots run deep into the stream that is nourished and is strong and is secure, an oak that will not fail. A righteous man like that. And then a foolish man who's like a, who's like a um, tumbleweed like a bush that is blown around by the wind that just drifts on by in the desert in the dry place. Proverbs, not an easy book, but a book worthwhile reading, is full of pithy little sayings. A wise man this, a foolish man this. A a wise man this, a, a foolish man that. A wise man, he takes advice from his friends. A foolish man, he thinks he knows everything. The prophets would speak the word of the Lord. They would use a similar way of talking. Jeremiah says, 
what God says through Jeremiah, Jeremiah 21. Today I set before you the way of life and the way of death. Deuteronomy, one of the oldest books in the Bible, uh, the book of the law, has God saying this to his people. I set before you life and death. I set before you blessings and curses. Now choose life that you might live. This would be there in the background of Jesus' hearers. These stories would be there. These sayings would be there. They would have heard them as they'd grown up in uh, junior church or their equivalent of Sunday school, uh, something like that. These would be uh, sayings that their parents would have told them, that their rabbis would have told them, that their Pharisees and Sadducees would have explained to them. They'd be used to this way of thinking. But there is a crucial difference in how Jesus uses this way of thinking. Because for the rabbis, for the Pharisees, for the teachers in the temple, for the people in the synagogue, for the parents instructing their children, it would be very clear what led to the way of life and what led to the way of death. What led to a firm foundation for a house and what led to a wobbly foundation for a house. They would be able to finish off the sentence for Jesus. And the sentence would go, if you build your house on a firm foundation, if your life would stand strong when the storms come, then live your life according to the law. Then live your life according to the Torah. Then keep the commands of the Old Testament. Then be obedient to the law that Moses gave us. And Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house upon a rock. Notice the authority of Jesus in how he is talking. He puts his words on a par with the Hebrew scriptures. He puts his teaching on a par with the law that came down from heaven that was given to uh, Moses on Mount Sinai. He says to those who are listening, you will have life. You will will stand firm. You You will have the light of life. If you hear my words, and if you put what I'm telling you into practice... The reading finishes with the crowds being amazed at his authority and acknowledging his authority. They never heard a teacher like this before. They'd never met a teacher who made these claims before. How can we trust him? How can we trust his words? How do we know what he's saying is true? Well, they have an authority of their own. There is a resonance to the teaching of Jesus. Peter recognized it. When others abandoned Jesus, Jesus said to him, are you, Peter, are you going to go as well? And Peter says, where, where else could we go? You have the words of eternal life. There is a, a resonance to the words of Jesus. There is a, a power and an authority to the words of Jesus that, that we recognize, that our, our spirits feel the weight of them 
when we see them in Scripture. C.S. Lewis said this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So it is with the words of Jesus. Don't just see the authority of Jesus, but through what Jesus says, through his teaching, I understand how the world works. I see why people are as people seem to be. They have an authority, a resonance of their own. Notice Jesus' authority. Notice the claims that he makes. I would never make those claims. I would never say to somebody else, I'm going to tell you how to live your life. I, Lee Pradlove, I've got all the answers. If you trust me, if you, if you trust my teaching, I know how you should live. I would never make that, that claim to that authority. But I would say, Jesus, he knows. Jesus, he understands. You can trust Jesus with your life. You can trust your life to his teaching. Because of the authority that he has, the resonance of his words, but also because he rose from the dead. His life and his words have the, I can't say this word, imprimatur, imprimatur, the thing, the stamp in the book that says this is, this is right, this is authorised. They have the seal of authority, the seal of approval of Almighty God. You can trust your life to Jesus because Jesus rose from the dead. You can trust the sayings of Jesus because Jesus said he would rise from the dead and Jesus did rise from the dead. You can trust the words of Jesus because the Father says, this is my son, and to prove it by his spirit raises Jesus from the dead. Paul writes, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we are without hope in the world. Because the resurrection declares who Jesus is. I am the resurrection and the life, says Jesus. And the resurrection declares that is true. I am the way, the truth, and the life, says Jesus. The truth. And if he is the truth, then his words are truth, and we can trust them, and we can rely upon them. So notice the authority of Jesus, and notice the realism of Jesus. The storms will come. The rain falls down. The stream, the river, the waters rise. The winds blow. On the wise man's house, who's living his life the right way, who's obeying the words of Jesus, who's got a a strong foundation, and on the foolish man's house, who's building his house upon the sand. Rain comes down, water comes up, storms blow, buffeted from every side. On the wise man and on the foolish man. There's a realism to the words of Jesus. I know it's a story, I know it's a saying, I know it's an illustration, but it's true nonetheless. Jesus says the storms will come. Consider the miracles of Jesus. The first miracle in Mark's Gospel, what does he do? He calms a storm. They're amazed. Even the winds 
and the waves obey him. What's one of the most meaningful moments in the lives of the disciples? When they're in a boat, another occasion, on a boat, and the storm is uh, blowing, they don't know what's going to happen, and uh, they see Jesus walking towards them on the waters. And the storm is stilled. Jesus is in a boat with them, another occasion, and the, the, storm's, the storm's blowing, and they're frightened, they wake Jesus up, and he calms the storm. Why is Jesus so fixated on storms? Because Jesus knows the nature of existence. Jesus knows the nature of life. That storms will come. The rich man on the poor man, on the wise man, on the foolish man. There's a, uh, there's a political commentator called um, Toby Young. Some of you might have seen him. He's quite often on Newsnight, uh, Question Time, those kind of things. Very much kind of writer-centre, conservative uh, guy. And uh, he's been doing some interviews um, this last couple of weeks about his experience at the beginning of the year when he was caught up in a controversial news story. Uh, basically, he was appointed to um, a government um, advisory committee uh, his political opponents didn't like that, so they trawled through his writings, they trawled through his uh, Twitter account, and they found uh, things that he'd said that were, to be honest, pretty obnoxious, certainly off-colour, and they broadcast those far and wide to embarrass him, and uh, he became the centre of a political storm, you might uh, remember it. Ended up with him standing down from uh, his, the, the, point, the appointment that he'd been given, Ended up with him having to resign from his job. Ended up with him having to withdraw from public life. Um, he acknowledged that he shouldn't have said the things that he said, that they, they were out of order, but, but also at the same time, uh, he felt and still feels that the, the kind of opprobrium that he received was well out of um, uh, um, perspective, if you like, to, to, to what, what he had done. Um, he went through a deep period of uh, depression, uh, his friends deserted him. His daughter didn't want to go to school. He would, how his marriage would kind of fare th- through this. And he's, he's now sort of talking about that uh, experience. Um, just leave the politics aside for a moment. Just consider the kind of human story. Somebody's world falls apart. Somebody who is caught up in the storms of life. It's been really interesting to listen to him talk about how he uh, experienced that, that time. And he said, I realized that I believed in the essential karma of the universe. Throughout all of this going on, I kept asking myself, why is this happening to me? I'm a good person. I've been a good dad to my kids. I've been a good husband to my wife. I've tried to do the right thing in my work. I've tried to do the right thing in my positive. Why is this happening to me? Why has the universe got it in for me? I'm a good person. I believed in the essential karma of the universe. And the essential karma of the universe is that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And none of us would say that's what we live by. None of us would say, well, that's my worldview, that's how I view the world. But many of us, in fact, to a certain degree, probably all of us, have that ticking away inside of us. A sudden redundancy notice. A business getting in trouble. An illness. An accident. And our hearts cry out 
Why has this happened to me? Why has this happened to me? I'm a good person. This shouldn't happen to me. I'm a good person. Friends, Christian belief is not that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. The Christian belief is not that storms only arise in those who somehow have offended the kind of essential karma of the universe. Being a Christian doesn't guarantee you a charmed life. It doesn't guarantee that you will be living a life where you successfully navigate between all the storms and no, no darkness comes into your life, no shadow falls across your path. I wish it was so. I wish it was so. But it's not. And Jesus said it was not. Jesus said, Your heavenly Father causes the sun to rise on both the good and evil. He causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Good things sometimes happen to bad people, and bad things sometimes happen to good people. There is sun and rain in every life. Storms will come in every life. Is God in control? Yes. Is Jesus Lord? Yes. Is God micromanaging your life so that nothing bad will happen to you? No. What was the prayer that Jesus told his disciples to pray? Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what that tells us is that his kingdom has not fully come. And that our Father's heavenly will is not being fully done at the moment. And that our earth is not as it is in heaven at this particular moment in time. Now, God is active in our world. God is guiding in our world. God is sovereign in our world. God is omnipotent in our world. But that does not mean that everything that happens is according to his will. And it does not mean that those of us who are his children will have a charmed life where storms will not come. It doesn't mean that if you're a Christian, you'll never be made redundant or you'll never go through tough financial times or that uh, your your children's uh, things might not work out perfectly for them doesn't mean if you're a Christian that you, you won't fall ill or that those that you love won't fall ill. Jesus tells us this story because he knows there will be storms. There will be storms. The question is, how will you withstand the storm? How will you stand when the storm comes? What will be the foundation that will hold you secure when the storm comes? Those who hear my words, says Jesus, and put them into practice are like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. So in this new term, in this new start of church life, what will be the thing that you're going to build your life on? What's going to be the foundation for your life and your your family life? If it's anything other than the words of Jesus, it's shaky foundation. If you're trusting in anything else or anyone else than Jesus and his words, you're on shaky foundation. Things might look great from the outside, 
but your foundations, the hidden foundations, they're, they're not secure. But it's not too late. It's never too late. You can still put things right. You can still make the decision that you will order your life according to the words of Jesus, that you will base your life upon the teaching of Jesus. Um, Scholars look at this um, story that Jesus tells, and they note where it comes in Matthew's Gospel. It comes at the end of chapter 7, and there's been a whole load of teaching from uh, Matthew chapter 5 through to Matthew chapter 7. And it's a kind of summation, really. Uh, Jesus, as we know, went around teaching, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain, uh, often would tell the same stories again and again and again. And what scholars think is that what Matthew is doing here is he, he's re- retelling the teaching of Jesus. He's telling the story of Jesus preaching. And then he's finishing off that kind of period of teaching with this story that Jesus told about the importance of his teaching. So the words that Jesus is referring to, the words that we need to make as the foundation of our lives, that refers to the previous two chapters. I'm not going to summarize uh, two chapters of Jesus' teaching this morning. But just a couple of key things just to note as you, as you go into next week and as you think about this. Jesus talks about the importance of a right relationship with God. This passage begins, these five chapters begin with Jesus teaching the Lord's Prayer. Where Jesus says, when you pray, this is how you should pray. And gives the Lord's Prayer as a model relationship of, a model, a model prayer for uh, sustaining a relationship with God. So the first thing, the first thing, if you're going to build your life upon the foundation of Jesus' words, is to look to, attend to your relationship with God. And we're talking there about your prayer life and your reading of Scripture. The second thing in these three chapters, two chapters that Jesus talks about, is about having a kingdom perspective. About having a right perspective upon life. Do not be anxious, Jesus says. Seek first my kingdom. Do not store up for yourself treasure on earth, but store up for yourself treasure in heaven. Have the right perspective on life. Know what is important and know what is unimportant. And this thing of supreme importance is my kingdom, says Jesus. And thirdly, Jesus talks about our hearts and our relationships with others. All those you have heard it said, but I tell you sayings. You have heard it said, do not murder, but I tell you, do not be angry. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, do not look at somebody with lust in your heart. You have heard it said, uh, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I tell you, if someone makes you go an extra mile, uh, go too. If someone wants your cloak, give them your tunic as well. Jesus talks about having a, a generous, gracious relationship with others. So these three areas of life, our relationship with God, our perspective on life, and our relationship with us, how can we put Jesus' words into practice on those things? A couple of thoughts. 
It's as we renew our relationship with God that we will be anchored to God when those storms come. Just um, take your right hand if you're right-handed, left hand if you're left-handed. Take your thumb, okay? Wrap it around your fist, make a fist like that, okay? Take your other hand, wrap it over the top. The scriptures tell us this about our relationship with God if we're a Christian. It says, your life is hid with Christ in God. Your life is hid with Christ in God. Safe, secure, protected. That's the theological reality of who you are in relationship to God. Your life is hid with Christ in God. That's the theology. Do you know that? Do you experience that? Does your heart bear witness to that? Does your spirit soar at that? When those storm comes, do you know that despite everything else that's going on around you, your life is hid with Christ in God? You will only know that. You will only be secure. You will only have that sense of that in your heart and not in your head if your prayer life is a living thing, if it's an active thing, if your relationship with God is being nurtured and restored and renewed day by day. kingdom perspective. How do we maintain a kingdom perspective? Who's tried to hang a picture on a wall on their own? Okay, it takes a long time. Is it in the right place? Can I do it? I've got the nail in the right place. Is it a bit too high? Is it a bit too low? Is, it, is, is that right? Okay, who's married and has tried to hang a picture? Really helpful having somebody standing about six feet back, left a bit, right a bit, up a bit, down a bit, that's it, bang, there you go. If you're going to have the right perspective, you need somebody who can stand alongside you and go, have you got this right? Have you got this important? Have you got this important thing? Are you giving it due importance? Is it too important or not important enough? What are you thinking about as you make this decision? Are you making this decision just because it works for you? Or are you making this decision because it works for your family? Or are you making this decision because actually you think this is something God is leading you into and, and guiding you into? Are you working too much? Not having Sabbath time with, with God and your family? Are you getting too close to somebody who you really shouldn't be? Are you, are you getting a bit flirtatious with somebody who is it's starting to kind of tip over into that, that grey area? We need people around us who can encourage us and challenge us. Jesus pulled together a group of disciples. We need people who will encourage us and help us maintain the right perspective. We need close Christian friends who can uh, do that for us. That's why as a church we have home groups. That's why we have small groups. That's why we meet together at different times to pray for one another and encourage one another. We have a right kingdom perspective. And finally, about our hearts. 
How do we check our hearts? How do we keep a, a, a kind of track on our hearts? How do we make sure our hearts are in the right way on a, a firm foundation uh, with God? Well, the Bible teaches again and again that our hearts, they can trick us. Our hearts, they can trip us up. We think we know ourselves, but we, we, we kind of lie to ourselves. We deceive ourselves. The psalmist in Psalm 139 writes, You have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. That's how he begins his psalm. You've searched me, and you know me. And he ends his psalm by saying, Search my heart, O God. Reveal your path to me. You've searched me and you know me. Reveal my heart to me. There are times for all of us when we need to come to God and just say, Lord, search my heart. Look at my heart. Look at what's going on in me. Show me what's going on. Show me what I need to do. Show me what relationships I need to put right. Show me what wrong things I've done I need to turn around. Give me direction. Give me guidance. Search me and try me, Lord. Reveal my heart to me. Final story. In America, there's a really big uh, um, thing in, in their politics and their religious life about the, the separation of church and state. That uh, religious views should not have any kind of influence upon the government. That the, the government should be entirely neutral as regards uh, religious principles. Uh, the church there is, is completely free. It's, it's separate from, uh, from uh, government involvement in contrast to the UK where Church of England is the established uh, church. In the 1980s, a court case was brought about the money of the United States, the dollar, dollar bills. And all American dollar bills have the words, in God we trust, written upon them. And uh, a number of uh, kind of... Um, uh, lawyers and uh, groups say, we, we don't think this should be on our currency. This is government-issued currency. It says, in God we trust. We're a secular state. We think those words should be taken up off. And it went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court uh, ruled that the words, in God we trust, could remain on the American dollar for this reason. They can remain on the American dollar because... These words have lost, through rote and repetition, any significant content. They've lost, through rote and repetition, any significant content. We pass dollar bills back and forth, we read them, we're so familiar with these words that they don't have any meaning for us at all, and because they don't have any meaning for us at all, they can stay on our dollar bills. There's a danger that scripture is like that for us as Christians. That through rote and repetition, it's lost any significant content. We've heard the story of the wise men and the foolish man so many times it can lose its content. Jesus says, it's not enough just to hear these words of mine, but to put them into practice is what's required. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads. So far as we begin a new term as a church, as uh, everything starts up, as we get busy again, not just in our church life, but in our family lives, we pray that you would 
uh, guide us and direct us that you would challenge us, Lord. We want to make uh, your word the foundations of our lives. We want our families to be based upon your teaching. We want to grow in our knowledge of you. And Lord, we pray that you'd show each one of us what that means. And Lord, we pray that in the words of James, we would be not just hearers of your word, but doers too. We ask this in the name of the one who is our rock and our redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.